Welcome to Different from the Other Kids, a weekly podcast for parents of challenging children with your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different from the Other Kids. Each week, Angela interviews an individual or professional within the mental health community. Wanted to introduce you to a great friend of this program. Her name is Jackie Tyus, and she has a very unique background to have a conversation with us, which is why we keep leaning on her to open up and tell us more of her background and her history and uh, give us her perspective on things. Jackie was a program supervisor at Turning Point Youth Services, which is a multi-service accredited children's mental health center. They're located in Toronto's downtown core and provide a range of mental health counseling and support services to at-risk and vulnerable youth aged 12 to 24 years old and their families. Jackie also um, has a child that suffers with some mental health issues and a lot of addiction issues. Uh, so we always uh, find Jackie's input here very valuable, and we appreciate her vulnerability. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us again. The last time that we spoke was over a lot of frustration over that Jackie has done this before and been able to work within the confines of uh, doing cognitive therapy uh, to get through some of the trauma that she has experienced to come out the other side and be clear and be able to work. Uh, and is now sitting in a situation, uh, very frustrating, where there's nobody to treat her. And the reason that there's nobody to treat her is there are no psychiatrists out there that are doing anything really more than psychological or uh, psycho or pharmaceutical uh, consults, right, Jack? And assessments. And, and assessments. And the, the only people that are actually dealing with the cognitive therapy portion are psychologists, social workers. Uh, that are a paid for service of which unless you have um, quite a bit of money uh, for long term care uh, you're going to run out of any extended health that you had and that's if you're lucky enough to have extended health that's Is right. that about right Jack? I, I yeah that's about right and I mean you know that's where it gets to be really difficult because there are no OHIP funded services for people that need extensive treatment Mm-hmm. So anybody with post-traumatic stress, who else would require extensive treatment? I know my daughter does, just to be able to live her life. I think, I, I think uh, anybody, like as you say, with uh, bipolar, yep. um, schizophrenia, yep. um, major depressive disorder, um, the PTSD, mm-hmm. those are really the main, you know, that would require ongoing support mm-hmm. that I just don't know how people are doing it I don't know how parents are out there uh, having to work being a single parent um, having no other forms of support of any kind and they're they're living with uh, probably just above the poverty line they're the working poor and they're supposed to be getting some kind of assistance for their kids. I'm, I'm mystified with how that's supposed to happen. I am in a very, uh, one of the reasons I did this is because I'm in a uh, fortunate situation that uh, we can put that in place for my daughter, but most right. people can't. And I, I don't get it. So that's, that's one of the major threads of doing this was where do people go when they have nowhere to go? Who do they talk to when they have no one to talk to? If my child can't even get psychological or cognitive therapy, what am I supposed to do for myself in trying to lead them through? How do, how do I, how do I, how do I figure this out? And so that's part of the reason we're having these conversations and one right. of the reasons I've done this. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's an impossible situation because, um, you know, the average family cannot afford the treatment. Right. Um, and yet it's, nece- it's a necessity for the young person's management uh, uh, and recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to have this, the treatments. Um, and I guess what I see particularly in the line of work in youth justice is that if a kid comes into custody and is detained and has to be there, there are much more services available. Mm-hmm. As I say, you got to get arrested or you got to try and take down a plane or you got to be so ridiculously behaved. Uh, or so dangerously behaved, right? Uh, that it that it requires it. But even then, they let them go too quickly. Absolutely, and you you see this all the time um, at hospitals. A kid comes in, you know, su- say you know, saying that they are actively suicidal, and they're released after the psychiatrist speaks to them. Or one of the biggest problems that I've seen is that kids got serious mental health issues as well as substance abuse. They will. They have a substance abuse prog- uh, problem on top of that. They will release them no matter what mm-hmm. because they don't want to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. Anyway, very frustrating conversations that we're having and very real conversations. This is the state of uh, the union here uh, in in Ontario, at least, and in many parts of Canada. I know in many parts of the U.S., uh, unless you have big money, you can't get big help. And that's period, full stop. Um, I'm going to move along here, though, because we could probably go on and on about this and continue to be frustrated. Um, We're just hoping that a collective voice uh, going forward might help facilitate a bigger conversation. Maybe we will get heard by somebody who can actually be in a position to do something, but I think our collective voice matters, and that's why we're here. Um, Wanted to move on with Jackie. She is uh, an expert in youth justice, Um, and there was something that we talked about uh, the last time when she was giving me the conclusion, I think. We were having a conversation about youth engagement. Right. Um, And I just want to give you a general about youth engagement. I did just a little bit of searching some stuff out here, and I got from the Centers of Excellence for Children's Wellbeing. They had their own little idea of what youth engagement was. So if I can just read it so that we get a good intro here. Uh, Youth engagement is the meaningful participation and sustained involvement of a young person in an activity with a focus outside of him or herself, which is probably the most important distinction. The kind of activity in which youth is engaged can be almost anything. Sports, the arts, music, volunteer work, political, politics, excuse me, social activism, and can occur in almost any kind of setting. So how to engage, I really like their um, ideas about how to engage. Um, And there's just, as you go down the list of how to engage, I really like the words that they use. So it's, first word is talk, talk to others about activity or the organization. It initiates the activity or they they initiate the activity for him or herself. Uh, They participate actively and regularly. It brings other people into the activity. It gives them the opportunity to lead and organize. It gives them the opportunity to advocate energetically, and it also allows them to seek adult support. And the result of how they feel, how the youth feel after being engaged is that they tend to care about the activity, derives a sense of belonging, feels that that activity is, uh, allows them to feel that the activity is meaningful. Uh, They feel that the activity is an important part of his or her identity, derives a sense of pride, accomplishment, or satisfaction from the achievements 
and they gain a feeling of competence. And I know from some of the other readings that I've done, Jackie, that this is a really big deal for kids that were at youth for or at risk for drug use. Uh, but Jackie, uh, talk to me about youth engagement uh, from from your perspective uh, professionally. Um, from a professional um, perspective, um, youth engagement means a little something a, a little bit different. Great. And I, I can in, with our with the in the youth justice system and the Ministry of Children and Family Service, who governs youth justice, as well believes that youth engagement is necessary is necessary to have better outcomes and reduce the rate of recidivism. And What's it, recidivism? Uh, reoffending. What we found that with youth, youth engagement, I'll give you an example of how it works within uh, a youth mm-hmm. justice locked program, which is basically a jail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, all of uh, the youth, have they've lost even just by being detained and through their other, you know, combination of mental health issues. And I believe most youth that are, in the youth justice system have suffered major trauma and have undiagnosed mental health issues, um, which brings them in conflict with the law. But, and those supports are available and they will help. But in order for a young, it's hard work, a young person to be motivated and become engaged um, in their treatment, it's, that's where youth engagement comes in. And, and the research has proven it's evidence-based that there are better outcomes. And so how that works in my program, anything to do with any kind of programming for for our programs, such as community activities, um, programming, uh, separate programming within the programs, activities that, uh, that they would like to see, um, right down to, the, like, the the menu for the week, which is an, an oh, you rem- I remember you talking to me about this. What? I had a, a wonderful day where I had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time in and with Jackie and and uh, the kids uh, in her charge, um, and that was really cool. That they from the, the it's the small things. It is the small things, and what it does is, for instance, under the Ministry of Children and Family Services, from a licensing perspective, we have to provide meals and snacks that are based on the Canada Food Guide. Now, that doesn't take into account diversity, cultural (laughs) differences. We do accommodate that, of course, but it's more than that. It's the youth engagement part is saying, okay, yes, we have to feed you healthy, but what kind of food would you like? And what would you like to see? And the menu is reviewed with the staff that uh, is is developing it mm-hmm. and a young person mm-hmm. their input on every level is um, taken into factor uh, for instance if it's um, summer like when summer is on we have summer programming where they are allowed to go a lot more they are when the activities are being um, worked on with the staff a youth is involved there is a weekly meeting every Monday, even though they're detained, as to what the problems are, what you need to, what you would like to see changed, and your concerns. That is then brought to the clinical weekly meeting. It's discussed, and certain 
protocols and procedures may be changed based on that their their input. Mm-hmm. For instance, maybe they're saying like bedtime is ten o'clock on a school night. Well, they want to be able to stay up till eleven. If they if if and then it's discussed, and if it's not really, if it's more, it's more that we're just doing it out of it's always been that way. But if there's validity in it and it's helpful and it's not really going to impede the young person, mm-hmm. we'll do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a privilege system. Um, they didn't like the way it was running. They gave their input and we did change some of those things. So from obviously, you know, there's certain things we can still hear what they have to say, but obviously we have to be, we have to be running the, the agency, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's made very clear that to all the youth that come, that they're and by them feeling that they're being heard, mm-hmm. it gives them a sense of control. And most young people that have um, are in custody and have mental health issues have lost control. And therapeutically, it makes sense for a person if they they're in, when they have a voice, even if there's nothing done about it, but they're allowed to to have a voice. They, that empowers them and motivates them and builds their self-esteem and that's and engages them in the process of treatment and that's what youth that's the purpose of youth engagement okay so if you could uh Jackie give me a great story that you might have of a kid that was affected by this uh engagement okay um it wasn't in my program, unfortunately, but our agency has a number of um, treatment uh, programs for um, a, a variety of different issues, but all of the kids are, have, are, have mental health issues. They're just not being detained, and they can't live at home because their mental health issues are so severe. Uh, there was a young girl in one of our treatment programs who, um, you know, came from a very, very difficult childhood and was struggling really seriously with some severe um, issues, including cutting and uh, multiple attempts at suicide, and really had problem managing her 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 emotions. Um, she we started also our agency as a whole started a weekly uh, youth engagement, and all of the youth and the staff would come, and it was more of a um, youth centered and what the youth wanted and what it should look like. And so they basically, initially, they they chose the food they, and it, food they wanted, which was generally fast food and whatever. Mm-hmm. That was how we got them there. Because <laughs> that's, you know, you yeah. have to do what you have to do. Um, and then through encouragement and being allowed to have a voice, that's where a lot of um, sense of community came up with other youth in the programs and the agency and the staff. It also built... A built better relationships with the frontline workers. Um, but this particular girl was doing very poorly. She had started attending the regular youth engagement meetings. She was very, very vocal. Um, some would say a little bit adversarial, but she was allowed to have that voice. And at, at, she was, when she was 18, released from the, the um, treatment center and she continued to attend youth engagement and became quite active and uh, quite an advocate for the young people there. So to me, again, that is a success story. And she was doing better, you know, 
yes, there were still issues. Her, the improvement in her overall mental health was uh, remarkable. She felt like she had worth. She felt like she had some sort of purpose. And she felt she had control over her life, which is what young people that haven't had control need desperately. And it is one of the things that it, probably to, to me, one of the major factors in in treating a young person and having them, you know, in and, and being able to recover. Now, what do you think parents need to know as far as this information is concerned? Well, I, I, I think it's sort of the same focus is that when children are struggling with mental health issues and the family, that they in their family are able to um, have a voice, whether it's negative or positive, clearly it can't be abusive and it can't be tolerated, but that a voice be given in, you know, in the, in the family and that they're heard, even if nothing can be changed, that they're heard and their feelings are heard. And, and, and again, allowing the young person in their family to have a say, to be able to discuss how things within that, you know, um, family can work. And I mean, I really think that it, whether it's a family, you know, whether it's parents struggling, I do think that when a, when a young person is able to have a voice, they are, are empowered, even if it's not on a huge level. And it, it even if it doesn't change their immediate sort of things that are going on for them, they feel safe. And if they feel safe, there's going to be less self-harm. There will be less blow-ups just because out of frustration and I think the big in a family particularly that by doing that the young person feels safe that that they they're allowed to say what they feel and they're allowed to give a voice and whether again as I said whether or not uh, that that can be realistic because you know there are things that are just not realistic if a child says at 13, I'd like to be able to smoke pot every night. Well, no, it's not happening. But we will listen to you and we will, you know, and then give our reasons. That child feels safe enough to be able to say that to their parents. And then you've built, you've also built a, a mutual respect and a sense of belonging, you know, because you are valued for who you are, your identity. And mm -hmm. that is, the, you know, that can be everything. And in the past, that has not, mental health agencies and detention facilities have not done that, and the outcomes have been poor. So this, they're based on evidence-based um, studies, has proven to reduce the rate of recidivism and symptoms of, you know, mental, like, symptomology of specific mental health issues are reduced. It's really important that parents understand that as much as your kid may not be fitting into what societal norms may be in some of these situations, that you do your best uh, to make sure that there's a great adult there that's going to be able to facilitate a, a smooth um, and successful interaction uh, while they're there, um, but that you continue to try uh, as much as you can to encourage them to be involved in some of this stuff uh, because it can be life-affirming and life-changing. But again, it, I think it does depend on the adults that are there, and that's why I think it's really uh, such a tragedy that we're doing away with so many of the extracurricular activities because that is a perfect 
opportunity for some of our kids that struggle mentally to be able to contribute and to be able to uh, get involved in something. I have something here. It's um, from Educational Leadership, and I believe it is ASCD.org Publications is where I got it from. Um, and there's a subtitle here, and it's called Raising Academic and Social Skills. And this is from an article entitled Research Link Slash Extracurricular Activities, The Path to, to Academic Success? Question mark, from a gentleman named John H. Holloway. And the stat here that he's telling us is through a study that was done through Ralph McNeil in 1995 uh, that showed different kinds of activities have varying abilities to control school dropout rates. He concluded that students who participate in athletics, fine arts activities, and academic organizations are estimated 1.7, 1.2, and 1.15 times, or 1.15 times respectively, less likely to drop out than those who did not participate. Athletic participation reduces the probability of school dropouts by approximately 40%. Uh, Jackie's given us her perspective. It's just constant all the way through. I think it has to start at home. It has to be through uh, other activities that we can uh, help support through as parents. It has to go through the school systems and it also has to uh, continue on when uh, if the child isn't being successful in uh, regular what we will call regular life and ends up getting into trouble or has uh, continued mental health problems. We have to continue to draw them out. We have to continue to encourage them to be active and we have to encourage their voice. I agree with all of those things that you're saying. And I think particularly the one thing that came to mind is we're talking about youth engagement. This also allows them to feel safe to advocate for themselves. Mm -hmm. And people with mental health issues have to, as, as, as particularly as they become young adults, because still the stigmas and all of the other things, they need to be able to advocate. And, that's, we, and youth engagement is an extension of, assisting them in learning how to advocate for themselves because of their mental health um, issues. And that is huge. That's, yeah, once again, that's that's another, another everything statement. Thank you so much again, Jackie, for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know the parents really appreciate your voice. It is unique um, and very uh, clearly spoken. We really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I guess all I can say is good luck with some of those supports that don't seem to be available. Something's got to break here. Something's got to give. We just can't give up. Right. And I think that's the thing is, and I think you've got, you've got to have hope that mm -hmm. things are know, going and, to And get if better. you look at it, um, just on a final note, youth engagement wouldn't even be considered years ago. Mm -hmm. In a correctional facility, kids are having a voice as mm -hmm. opposed to being disciplined. Thanks for listening to Different From The Other Kids, made possible with the support of Deborah Kenny Jewelry, jewelry meant to inspire. You can find them online at www.debrakennyjewelry.com. Music and editing is a product of Among the Crowd Productions. You can hear more at www.amongthecrowd.ca. We'll see you next week. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor, and I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on Different from the Other Kids 
does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider.